This sermon is titled 1 Thessalonians part 3. Be enriched as you listen. So we're back in 1 Thessalonians and we're going to continue our journey studying Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians will finish that and then we will just transition into 2 Thessalonians. They're both short epistles. 1 Thessalonians has just five chapters, 2 Thessalonians three small chapters, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful to study them, especially when you think about it that these were the first epistles, or first two epistles, written by the Apostle Paul, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So we're going to quickly review. We've covered the four, first four chapters of 1 Thessalonians. We'll just quickly review, and then we will do chapter 5 and possibly chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. We were not able to do it in the first service of the 8 o'clock service. Let's see how things go uh, here in the second service today. All right, so quickly review. If you just see the map that you've uh, been uh, looking at the last couple of uh, uh, services when we've been studying 1 Thessalonians. So this was the second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul made. He left his home church in Antioch of Syria. So if you look at the map, you locate Syria, uh, you see Antioch there. That was his home church. And the Apostle Paul began his second missionary journey. This time Silas was with him. Silas was a man who came from the church in Jerusalem. And uh, he had come to Antioch. And he journeyed with Paul. So they left Antioch. They traveled west. He stopped at his hometown, Tarsus, and from there they journeyed west into the, the district of Galatia. They've got these three cities of uh, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, so they spent some time there. It was there that um, Paul found this young man, Timothy, and he said, Timothy, come with me. So you've got three people on the team now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they're journeying west, and Paul attempts to minister uh, in Central Asia at that time, but, that, but the Holy Spirit says, don't preach here, keep moving. So he moves further west, he comes to the city of Troas, so you can look at Troas on the west coast of Turkey, seaport there. He comes to Troas and he wants to minister there and the Holy Spirit says, no, no preaching here now, keep moving. And he has a vision while at Troas of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul recognizes, okay, we've got to go to Macedonia. Now, at Troas, Luke, the gospel writer, Luke, and the person who wrote the book of Acts, he joins the team. So you've got four people now, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. They cross over the agency. They go across to what is the northern east, northeastern part of Greece. They come over there. One of the major cities there is Philippi. So they minister in Philippi. A church is established, but there is persecution. So they've got, they first start traveling south. They come to Thessalonica, another important city there in the northeastern part of Greece. And they spend just about three to four weeks in this place called Thessalonica. And they preach the gospel. People are saved, but again, persecution from the Jews. And so they've got to leave Thessalonica. They go down south to Berea. And then again, they s preach the gospel there. Same thing happens, persecution, and they've got to leave Berea. They go by the sea route, and they come down to the southern part of Greece. They come to Athens. And 
from Athens, Paul sends Timothy and Silas. He says, go back to Thessalonica and find out how those new believers are doing. He cares for them. He said, what happened? We had to leave them suddenly. We want to know how they're doing. So Silas and Timothy go back to Thessalonica to check on the believers. Paul spends a little bit of time in Athens, and then he moves further south to the city of Corinth, where he spends about 18 months, a year and a half there. Silas and Timothy come down from Thessalonica. They meet with Paul at Corinth, and they give him an update. And from Corinth, Paul is writing these two epistles to the Thessalonians. So very quickly to review, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he commends these believers in Thessalonica. He's got good news. He says, you know, I'm, I'm hearing about your faith. I'm hearing about your love. I'm hearing about the hope with which you're continuing in your faith. And he just commends them. Chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians, he reminds them about how he, he and his team conducted themselves when they were in Thessalonica. He says, you know, when we were in Thessalonica, we cared for you like a mother would care for, their, for her own children, or as a father would care for his children. That's how we were among you. With great compassion, we served you. In chapter 3, Paul encourages them to continue in their, in their faith, and he expresses to them that his intent. He says, I want to really come to you, but I'm leaving this to the Lord. Right? Because at that time, he recognizes there is so much of opposition, he can't go back to Thessalonica. He says, I want to come to you, but may the Lord direct our way to you. And that's when we interjected and said, hey, what actually happened was on this third missionary journey, he had tremendous success, both in Turkey, when strong churches were established there, as well as he had the opportunity to go on two occasions to Thessalonica and really minister to these people. So at the right time, God orchestrated everything. In chapter 4 of, Thessal of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is giving them some instruction how to live as new believers. Now remember, this letter is being written approximately one year after the church was established. Right? So one year later, he's writing this letter and he's giving them instructions how to live as believers over there. So we we saw some of the instructions that Paul had given them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He teaches them you know, how to live holy, maintain your own vessel in sanctification and honor. He tells them, okay, here's how you've got to live. You work with your own hands. You mind your own business. Do your own work. You know, uh, and he gives them specific instructions. And then he ends chapter 4 by reminding them about the coming of the Lord. He says, when the Lord returns, we who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Remember that? Right? So that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Today, we're going to get into chapter 5. So remember, when the apostle Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it in chapter and verse. That was done much later, around, the, you know, around 1500 to 1600. That's when they, you know, uh, they broke it up into chapter and verse just for referencing purposes. But... When Paul wrote it, there was one continuous letter, and there's several thoughts that run through the letter. And one of the main things we see Paul uh, emphasize in his letter to the Thessalonians is about the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So obviously, during those three, three to four weeks when Paul was in Thessalonica, he, he not only preached the gospel, but he also told them, Jesus is coming back. 
Right, so you think about this, you know, many times as, as Christians, as believers, we don't want to hear about the end times. Oh, book of Revelation, don't talk about it. I don't want to. No, I, I heard, I've heard some people say, I never read the book of Revelation. It's too much. <laughs> but hey, think about this. In the first three weeks of preaching Jesus to new people, people who've never heard about Jesus, Paul not only preached about Jesus, but he also told them about the end times. The Lord is coming back. So you can understand the importance of being taught or being uh, you know, instructed concerning the end times, the coming of the Lord. That's very important. Paul did it in the very first three weeks that he was preaching to these people. So he's picking up on this theme. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll read the first three verses. He talks about the times and seasons. Here's what he writes. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So he's addressing, he's writing to the believers. He's addressing them as brethren. And he says, you brethren, you know about the times and seasons. You can recognize times and seasons. Now, it's very interesting when you look at the words in Greek. Times in Greek, chronos, which refers to a duration of time. Seasons is the Greek word kairos, which refers to an opportune moment in time. So he says, thinking about the, the, the chronos and the kairos, you know, you know, uh, brethren, you don't, you, don't, you don't need me to write that, write about that to you, because you are, you know, watching, you are sensitive to the chronos and the kairos. The passage of the chronos, the passage of the duration of time, is leading us closer and closer to the kairos, that moment in time when the Lord himself will come. But here's the thing. The kairos, the day of the Lord, when the, the, when the Lord himself comes, it is so, it is something we don't even know about. It's like the thief in the night. We know we're getting closer, but we don't know exactly the day and the hour. The thief doesn't announce and say, hello, I'm coming to your house tonight. So we don't know the exact day and the hour. We just know that with the passage of time, we're getting closer and closer to the Kairos, the day of the Lord. So he says, we know we can observe the times and seasons. We know we're getting closer. But we also know it's going to come in a very unexpected way. So here we have this, as believers, we have this happy tension where I know I've got to live through the chronos. I've got to live through time. And yet I've got to live in a way as though the time is now. So I've got to live through the chronos and be also conscious that the kairos could be now. So there's a happy tension. I'm journeying through the season, the duration of time, but I'm living as though the time is now. Are you with me? 
So there is this, this balance that we've got to maintain. And he's going to tell us how do we live like that. But in verse 3 he says, the way the world lives is like this. Verse 3. For when they, so he's not talking about us. He's now talking about the world. So you see the change in the, in the subject, right? First two verses was us, you brethren. Verse 3, they. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. So he's talking about the world. The world's approach is, hey, everything is going great. There is peace and safety. So governments are going to assure their people, everything is fine. We've got all of this in control. And you know, people themselves are going to feel like, hey, I've got everything. Everything is going great and fine. Jesus described it like this in Matthew 24. He says, for as in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the day of the Lord. They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and all this, hey, just going on with life. Everything is fine. But when they say peace and safety, then what will happen? Sudden destruction will come. So what's he talking about, the sudden destruction? Because he compares it to the, the labor pains of a woman. So it, meaning the sudden destruction is painful. It's, it's, it's going to bring devastation. And this we understand is referring to the seven years of tribulation. The sudden destruction will come upon whom? Them, not the church. The implication is the church is no longer here. What happened to the church? He just described it at the end of chapter 4. We'll be caught up, we'll be taken away to be with the Lord. So this sudden destruction of 1 Thessalonians 5.3 is for them, the world, not the church. Are you with me? Because remember, it's, it's one single letter he's writing. We've only broken it across two Sundays and reading in chapter 4 and chapter 5. But when he wrote it, it was one single train of thought. We've been taken out of the way. Now sudden destruction is coming. Upon whom? Upon the world. And they don't have an escape out of that. But the church has already escaped. But that brings us to the next question, which is, I know the Lord is coming, but I don't know exactly when. So how should I live? Now yesterday in the, in the church office, we had our young people, young leaders, youth leaders we call them. So we had a youth leaders meeting. And then I, I just spent time with our youth leaders from time to time. And uh, we let them pick a topic. So yesterday they picked the topic end times. So we had a good Good, uh, you know, good time just talking about the end times. And then, you know, they just ask lots of questions. One of the questions they asked was, okay, how should we live? And I said, hey, that's getting into tomorrow's message. <laughs> that's, you listen tomorrow. So they asked the question, how should we live? You know, Jesus is coming. He's coming soon, but you don't know exactly when. So how are we supposed to live? All right? Paul's going to give us the instructions. How do you live? Knowing that the Lord is coming, but you don't know when He's coming, how do you live? Let's pick it up here in verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Here's how. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, 
so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. In other words, you don't have to live like, oh, suddenly the Lord, Lord, you never told me you're coming today. I'm not ready for you. <laughs> no, you, you don't have to be in that position. In other words, you're going to live so that any time the Lord comes, Lord, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. But how do you live like that? Well, he's giving us instructions. Verse 5. But you all are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So how should we live? He gives three simple instructions. One, live as sons or children of lights. So the first instruction. Live as people of lights. What is that? And why, why is that important? Well, the contrast is this. As people of darkness, and the Bible brings this out in many places, where living in darkness simply means you're living, you're giving yourself, doing all kinds of sinful things, because darkness is a cover. And you think that, oh, nobody's watching. So that's living in darkness. But when you're living in the light, you know all your deeds are clearly seen. God is watching. He knows everything. So here's the first thing. Live as people of the light. First instruction. He says, as sons of the day or sons of the light. Live like that. Live in a way where you know God is watching everything you're doing. So I'm not going to do anything that I would prefer doing in darkness under hiding, I live as though, knowing that God is seeing everything, I live as a person of light. Second instruction, how do you live? Live awake, that's alert, and sober. He contrasts it to those who are sleeping or those who are drunk. So don't live like that. Don't like, live like people who are asleep or drinking or drunk. But live like people who are alert, awake, and they are sober. That means you're watchful, you're alert, you're awake, you know what's happening around you, and you're sober. Nothing is controlling you. But you are temperate, and you are making judicious decisions, wise choices. The person who's drunk, in contrast, will say and do things which later on he's going to regret. Oh, I said that, I did that, I'm so sorry I was drunk. 
But he says, don't live like that. Don't live like a person who's drunk. Live sober. That means everything you say, everything you do, is thought out, you're doing it right. So first, live as people of the light. Second, live alert and live sober. Third, he says, live having put on your spiritual armor with the breastplate of faith and love and with the helmet of hope, of salvation. So live with your spiritual armor on. And he mentions faith, hope, and love as our spiritual armor. So you've got this armor on. Yes, I know that we, we are living in a world of the things around us, the, the, all kinds of things around us, but you've got your armor on. You're walking in faith, hope, and love. It's your armor. It's your breastplate. It's your helmet. It's protecting you. It's your defense against all the wickedness and the evil that might be around you. So live as a person with your armor on. Put on the breastplate of faith, hope, and your helmet of salvation. Put it on. So three simple instructions. We want to summarize what is Paul saying. We know that the Lord is coming. We don't know exactly when he's coming. So how do we live? Live as children of light. Live alert and sober. Live with your armor on. You got it? That's how you live. So that anytime the Lord comes, you're not going to be taken as a you know, a surprise, unexpected, no. Lord, I'm ready. You come this moment, I'm ready. Because I've been living as a children of, as a son of, or a person of light. I've been living alert and sober. I've been living with my armor on of faith, hope, and love. I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen? And then, in the same passage, verses 9, 11, 12, you see that he says... For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What was the wrath he's talking about? In context, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come. That's the wrath he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. He says God didn't appoint us to that, but for us to experience salvation. Once again, reaffirming the fact that the, the church is not going to go through that wrath or that sudden destruction that will come on the earth. The church will be taken out of the way because he's appointed us for salvation. And so he encourages them. He says, comfort one another with these words. He's repeating something he has already said in chapter 4. Right after he talked about the rapture, he said, comfort one another with these words. Once again, he's saying, comfort one another with these words. There is a connect here. Are you with me so far? So, after having given that instruction, Paul now, he's getting ready to close this first episode. And so he gets into some final exhortations or final instructions. We're picking up in verse 12. Verses 12 and 13. In closing, he says, here are some Rapid-fire instructions. Tuck, 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 tuck. You know, he's giving them instructions. All right, what does he tell them? Verses 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, 
to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Very interesting. What caught my attention in these two verses is this fact. Remember, he's writing to this church about one year after their inception. And at this time, the apostolic team is not there. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're not there in Thessalonica. They've moved on. He has only sent Timothy and Silas to check on them and come back. But in one year, what has happened to the church in Thessalonica? He's saying, brethren, recognize those who labor among you who are working among you, who are serving you, who are admonishing you, and esteem them highly for their work's sake. Which means, within one year, leaders have emerged in this church. People who have, people have started serving one another. There are people who are working among them, serving one another. And Paul is saying, hey, you recognize these people who are serving among you and who are over you spiritually, who are admonishing you. How long did it take? They didn't go to seminary for three years, four years. They didn't have that opportunity. They didn't go to get a PhD and then come back to serve. They didn't have that. I'm not against that. But I just want to highlight what happened. Within one year, people have started serving. People have come into places of responsibility, of leadership. And so Paul is saying, recognize them and esteem them highly. He's not referring to himself. He's not referring to, to, to Silas or Timothy because they are not there. They've moved on. So obviously he's referring to people who've, they're homegrown leaders, so to speak. Are you understanding this? That means within one year, in this Nascent church, just, just young church. Leaders have risen up, taking responsibility, serving, admonishing others. And you know where I'm going with this. What about you? How long is it going to take for you to start serving? For you to take responsibility in the house of God. For you to say, hey, I can admonish somebody. I can uh, take care of someone else in the house of God. Within one year in the church in Thessalonica, leaders began to emerge. Workers began to rise. How long is it going to take for that to happen here with you and me? So that's beautiful. That in that community, Leaders started rising up. And Paul is saying, you respect these people. They are serving you. Recognize them. Esteem them highly for their work's sake. And the other thing, along with that instruction, he says, and be at peace among yourselves. In other words, a plurality of leadership should not necessarily cause any kind of division among the community. Are you with me? Sometimes, and this is very, I feel a very wrong position to take, we consolidate all leadership in the hands of one individual, and the excuse is we want to keep everybody together. 
But that's a wrong way of thinking. We need a plurality of leadership. We, want, we need multiplicity of leaders. And we can learn to be at peace among ourselves. Are you understanding? So that's why here at, at APC, we're encouraging. We, we, we have many pastors. We have many leaders. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a variety, different kinds of leaders. Worship, pastor, this, this. People are leading in different areas. And yet we can be at peace. We can all be together. Amen? So having a multiplicity of leadership does, does not mean we cannot be together. So he's telling them, you see, there are a lot of people who are working among you. You respect them, esteem them highly for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Let's move on. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So, he's writing to this community of believers. And he's saying, in this community, there are going to be different kinds of people. There's going to be those who are unruly. There are going to be those who are faint-hearted. There are going to be those who are weak. And he just mentions three. There could be many more. That means people are you know, going through different seasons and stages of growth and so on. So he says, warn those who are Unruly. That means disorderly. They don't want to pay, they want to listen to anybody. They, want to, they don't want to walk in, in subjection, any kind of leadership. No. Unruly. So he says, warn them. But then there are people who are going to be faint hearted. They, 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 they're almost giving up, they're getting discouraged. He says, you comfort them. Those who are weak, you support them, strengthen them. So now, what's he saying? In this community, there are different kinds of people, people going through different things. So remember this, the church is a community. And our faith is to be lived out in a community. Not in isolation. I mean, yes, we know faith is personal, it's of your heart. But that faith that God's given us is supposed to be lived out in a community. Are you with me? And I was listening to a recent study, and this is, of course, with the church in North America. There's, the, there's this great de-churching that's happening that's since the 90s. It means people have just in big numbers left the church. And this is in North America. And so they have been studying this and trying to understand why are people de-churching. That means they are leaving the church and leaving, going out of the church, disconnecting from the church. So it's such a big thing now that in North America, and people are studying, why are people leaving the church? Why is this great de-churching happening from the 1990s till now? And uh, the study also shows us that the major de-churching is happening between the ages of 13 to the early 20s. This age group has just abandoned the church. They're walking out of church. We don't want anything to do with church. This is happening in North America. And one of the interesting things in this study, and there's a lot of, lot of, lot of data, a lot of, lot of insights that came out of this study, but one of the things was that if the parents de-church, 
there's a higher likelihood that their children will be unchurched. If the parents de-church, their children are going to be unchurched. They won't go to church at all. Right? And this is happening in the United States, not, not, I mean, North America, Canada, and U.S. So parents are de-churching for, and there's so many reasons and the, that they've, they've highlighted. But when parents de-church, the children will be unchurched. They won't even step into church. So, COVID time, people were forced to de-church in many ways. Right? We just couldn't gather together. Everybody's online. But even online, you're in some ways de-churched because you're not part of the community. You're connecting, but who knows? Service is running, you're cooking. <laughs> Did you attend church? Yeah, I attended live. But what actually were you doing? You had it on, but you were doing something else. So you're actually de-churched. You're disconnected from the community. And so, and I'm not saying this is the only reason. Right? This is one of the many reasons, a lot of other reasons that they have brought out. But that de-churching that happened, and sometimes people felt so comfortable de-churched, and we were forced to de-church during COVID because of all the restrictions and so on. But that became so comfortable that parents continued de-churched. If you ask them, yeah, I'm attending online. I'm not against online attendance. Those of you online, forgive me. I'm not, I'm not telling you I have to come. There are some reasons here. But I'm just you know, saying this is what's happening in North America and, and other parts of the world. So anyway, it's a very interesting study. But the point I want to make is this. That as a church, we are a community. And we need to live our faith out in the community, right? Come together. And as we come together, of course, we warn the unruly, we strengthen the faint-hearted, we comfort the weak, we help each other. We strengthen one another. And he tells us, you know, be patient to all. That means we do this being patient to one another. Right? You know, people are not going to get it right the first time. They need encouragement. They need, so we are patient with one another. We are working together with patience. The unruly person, you go and correct him the first time, doesn't mean he's going to immediately flip and, and, and become right. No, sometimes we have to work with that person. Same, similarly with the person who's faint-hearted, who's, who's discouraged, who's weak. We have to work with them over time. Be patient. But then for that to happen, we need community. We need togetherness. Are you understanding? Right? So Paul is saying, in that community, get all these things going. Be patient with everybody. Verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. He says, don't retaliate, verse 15. Don't retaliate. Don't re repay evil for evil. Now, if you think about that context, this Thessalonian, the church in Thessalonica was being, were being persecuted by the Jews. 
And so he's saying, don't retaliate. Don't repay evil for evil. But do good for everyone, uh, for yourselves and for all. Do good for yourselves and for all. I want to emphasize the for all part. You see, I think one of the mistakes the church, when I, as local churches, that we could make is we do good for ourselves. But we forget that we are supposed to do good not for just for ourselves, but for all. That means even for the people outside. So what does that mean? Let me just give some simple examples here. Suppose we as a church... We're making so much noise in our praise and worship. Oh, we're so loud. We are enjoying our praise and worship. We're doing good for ourselves. But if we are a nuisance to our neighbors, are we doing good for them? No. We don't think, oh, then we say we are being persecuted. No, you're not being persecuted. (laughs) You're doing good for yourselves, but you're not doing good for others. What did he say? He said, do good for yourselves and for all. Meaning everybody else around you. Think of them. For example, we have a service and our people come in bikes and cars and block up the street. And then the neighbors complain. So now we're being persecuted. No, no, you're not being persecuted. You're being a nuisance to all your neighbors. What did he write? He said, do good for yourselves and for all the others. Think about them. So in many ways, as as a church, we do good for ourselves. We only think, oh, this is good for me. But Paul said, do good for yourselves and for all people around you. What's good for them? What's good for the community? What's good for the place where you are? Same thing with doing social work. So I'll, I'll feed you if you're a believer. I'll give you education if you're a believer. But don't they, who are not saved, don't they also have to eat? Don't they also need education? Huh? He said, do good for yourselves and for all. Oh. Are you understanding what I'm trying to get across? In other words, we have to think about the good of the people outside the church as well. Don't just think about what's good for us. We've got to think about what's good for the community in which we are living, the people that we are living with. Verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So three things he tells us do all the time. God is good all the time. Believer, here's three things you do all the time. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. All the time. Say rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, always. In everything, give thanks. That means all the time. Give thanks. Three things we do all the time. Rejoice, 
pray, give thanks. Morning, afternoon, evening. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. All the time. This is God's will for you. This is what God wants you to do. When things are going good, rejoice, pray, give thanks. When things are not, not going so good, rejoice, pray, give thanks. This is what God wants you to be doing. In every circumstance, every situation, rejoice, keep your joy. Rejoice in God. Keep your joy in God. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Keep your joy. Pray. Some of us tweet your prayer. <laughs> we pray, oh God, help me. Okay, fine. If your prayer is a tweet, that's fine. Even if it's a short prayer, it's okay. Pray always. And be thankful. In everything, give thanks. Be, be full of gratitude. If your cup is half full, God, at least I've got half a cup. If your cup is empty, God, at least I have a cup. <laughs> it's empty, but it's a great opportunity. You have to fill it up. At least I have a cup. So in everything, give thanks. Find something to be thankful about. I'm sure we can all find something. God, thank you. I'm alive today. I've got breath in my lungs. I, I, I'm, I'm breathing. I got health in my body. I got strength in my Be thankful every day in all things. Verses 19 to 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from form of evil. Again, this is so interesting. Whom is he writing to? He's writing to a church that is just about one year old. And he's telling them, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. What is the implication here? It means that one year ago, in the three weeks, three to four weeks that Paul and his team were preaching to these people, he preached about Jesus, led them to faith in Christ. He also spoke to them about the end times. And he also spoke to them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's already taught them all this. This is like a three-week crash course. He's given them a lot in the first three weeks of their introduction to Christianity. Think about it. In intro to Christianity, Christianity 101, what did the Apostle Paul cover? He not only preached about Jesus, he even talked about eschatology. And he not only talked about eschatology, he talked about pneumatology, which is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. All this in Christianity 101 in first three weeks. But today, we say, no, 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 don't talk about end times. Very confusing. 
Don't talk about the Holy Spirit. That is even more confusing. See, there's a, there's a little saying, what you win them with is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. If we have a diluted Christianity, if you win them with the very diluted Christianity, you're going to win them to a diluted Christian. They want to stay there. But you win them with the solid teaching and the preaching of Jesus, Jesus Christ. This is who the Bible, what the Bible says. You win them with the solid stuff. That's what they will want to follow. Are you understanding? But we have become so diluted in our preaching. You win them with that. That's what they want. want. You win them with ice cream. They all want only ice cream. What did Paul teach and preach in the first three weeks in Thessalonica? He told them about the Holy Spirit. So now, as he writes to them, he's giving them instruction on how to flow in the things of the Spirit. He says, Do, don't quench the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving again amongst you. Don't suppress that. Don't despise prophecies. Why would he give such instruction? The assumption, the, good, the, 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 the obvious assumption is they probably had so much prophecies going on that they were saying, I've had enough. So he says, no, 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 don't despise prophecies. Be open. Continue to be open to it. But test everything. Hold on to what is good. And if there's any spiritual manifestation that has a form or appearance of evil, keep that aside. Stay away from any form of appearance of evil. Are you with me? So we need to talk about these things. We need to give believers the, 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 the solid truth of the gospel, which includes the preaching about the return of Christ, which includes the preaching about the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Worship team, please come. I'll read the last few verses and we close. So we will leave, we will leave uh, chapter 1 of 2 second, second Thessalonians. We'll pick it up next Sunday. Let's finish this. Verses 23 to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So in closing, Paul is saying, and he's, he's, he's pronouncing a benediction. It's a prayer almost of what he's praying. He's saying, I'm praying that God will keep you holy. He sanctify you, make you holy, spirit, soul, and body. And that, you'll be, that he will preserve you upright. And I know that God who called you is faithful and he will do this. That means I know that God will keep you holy and he will keep you upright. God will do that. So this is what he, 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 he prays and he pronounces over them. That God will keep them holy. God will keep them blameless or upright. Then he also asks for prayer. He says, brethren, pray for us. Which is again a good thing for us to remember. To pray for those who are serving the Lord. Pray for those who are ministering. It says, brethren, pray for us. 
The next verse is a very good verse in hermeneutics, meaning here's an example of a verse that was temporary. It was meant for a certain people in a certain time. Brethren, greet one another with a holy kiss. It was meant for them in their context. It's a temporary instruction. Here we greet each other with a handshake or a hug or something. That's how they greeted. Fine. It's not a command. Are you with me? Right? So that's a good example. In hermeneutics, we say, okay, there are some instructions in the Bible, in the New Testament, that are temporary, like covering your head. Okay, it's for a certain people in a certain context, in a certain culture. It's not for every church, not for everybody. Here's another example where an instruction given to a certain people in a certain context, brethren greet each other with a holy kiss. Then he says, okay, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We know the Lord is coming, but here's how you live. Live as people of the light. Live alert and sober. And live with your armor on of faith, hope, and love. Cover yourself with faith, hope, and love. Live with that. And then, some practical instructions. Honor those who are serving you. Honor. So if we apply that to our own context, you have so many people serving you. They may be ushers. They may be serving at the book table. They may be the greeters. Says, recognize them. Esteem them highly. Say thank you to them. Maybe they're in the parking lot. They help you park your car. Say thank you. Recognize those who labor among you, especially in the word and doctrine. Esteem them highly. And then he says, brethren, be at peace among yourselves. Take care of the community. There are different kinds of people. If they are faint-hearted, encourage them. If they are weak, strengthen them. If they are unruly, warn them, guide them. Take care of people in the community. We need each other. But be a community. Take care of one another. Depending on how each one is journeying through life. And then he says, brethren, in everything, rejoice, pray, be thankful. In everything, every day, all the time. Rejoice, keep your joy. Pray, be thankful, be grateful. Do this all the time. Be open to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't quench what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Of course, you test it. If there's any appearance of evil, stay away from it. But otherwise, receive the good things. The Holy Spirit is at work in His church. Receive that. Grow in it. And may God sanctify us and keep us blameless. And God will do it. God will do it. Amen? Let's rise to our feet, please. We'll continue next Sunday. Second Thessalonians. It's very interesting what Paul has to address. Why did he write a second episode so quickly 
after the first come back next sunday we'll tell you <laughs> let's take some time to pray before we close and just look to the lord and yesterday as we were spending time with the young youth with the young leaders the youth leaders another question that came up was how close are we to the coming of the lord and we were looking at all the prophecies and said hey we are in a time where the prophecies spoken off written off in the bible we are in a time when all of them can actually be fulfilled 30 years ago maybe we could say well this cannot be fulfilled yet this cannot be fulfilled yet but here we are in a moment in time when every prophecy can be fulfilled we are that generation we are living in such a time and things that have been written in the scriptures we are living in a time when everything can actually be fulfilled that's how close we are to the coming of the lord yes we know the day and the hour it's we can't predict but we can tell the season we're very close but also means god has put you and me on the earth for such a time he just saw it fit that he would place you on the earth today not 50 years ago not 100 years ago he said i want this person on the earth this time in this very very strategic moment in time god said i want that person here on the earth what an awesome honor that god put you here today at this time he saw it fit that you would be here you and i would be here at this juncture in history it's an awesome thought an awesome responsibility that means god has something big god has something meaningful something very very specific he wants to do through you that's why he put you here on the earth at this moment in time we are so close we will see next sunday there's going to be a great delusion on the earth people are going to wander away but we also see there's going to be a great harvest of souls both are going to happen there's going to be this great movement away from the truth but there's also be a going to be a great harvest of souls coming into the truth coming to faith in jesus christ and you and i are placed on this earth for such a time as this what does god want you to do in this very strategic moment very very strategic moment let's pray and say god let my life count for your kingdom this is not the time for name and fame this is the time to get the work done doesn't 
We're not here for name and fame. Those things don't matter. Eternity will give us reward. God will grant us the rewards in eternity. Now the work has to be done. The work has to be done. What is the work God wants you to do? Father, we just pray for each of us, God, that, that we will recognize that we are in such a strategic moment in time, placed on earth. How close we are to the culmination of all things, to the return of our Lord Jesus. And may each one of us rise up to the occasion. May we rise up to this, this call, this purpose that you placed on each of our lives. You saw it fit to put us on the earth at this moment in time. May we rise up to the call. May we live as people of the light. May we live alert and sober. May we be people who will have influence and impact for your kingdom, Father. May each one of us have impact for your kingdom. Do this, Father, we pray. the glory and the honor Lord we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name you deserve the glory and the
Father, we just pray that a sense of purpose, a sense of divine destiny, a sense of divine assignment will grip each of our hearts, God. That we are here for such a time as this. We are here for such a moment in history. That this will grip our hearts. Father, I pray that you will so motivate us, so stir our hearts up, that we will be proclaimers of your truth. That we will be carriers of the message of Jesus in this world. That, that our holy boldness will grip our hearts. Our holy unashamedness will grip our hearts. That we will not be afraid to bear the name of Jesus. Wherever you've placed us, God. Knowing that the time is short. We've got to bear the name of Jesus. We've got to share Jesus. That God will be fearless, will be bold. As we bring the message of Jesus to those around us, God. And use each of us in very strategic ways to bring the harvest in, to bring people in to the kingdom of God. Use each one of us in strategic ways to bring people out of darkness into your marvelous light. Use each one of us, God, to break chains of darkness, to set captives free, to show forth the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, so touch each of us, so transform us, make us fearless, make us bold. And Lord, in very, very strategic ways, help us make a difference in this world. Use each of us wherever you've placed us, God, wherever you've positioned us. Work through us. And we thank you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit continue with each of us always. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcw.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.